Welcome back to the Mom Mentality Show. My name is Austin Chadwick, co-host is Chris Lucian. And today we're uh, glad to have Scott Belware with us uh, to hit through some great topics. Uh, so the topics uh, we're looking to t- get to are, you know, kind of a good example of mobbing versus a bad example of mobbing that Scott has experienced, maybe, uh, maybe dark mobbing. Um, maybe we'll get to, uh, get to counterintuitive agility and extreme programming, and then uh, maybe round it out with lean pursuing perfection. Uh, but before jumping to those topics, uh, Scott, do you mind giving us a little introduction about yourself? I'm Scott Belware uh, in, uh, in software for so long now that it's uh, almost an embarrassment to, to say how long it's been. Um, uh, I've done everything in software from, from uh, you know, line level development all the way through to CTO with everything in between, including stints in, in uh, uh, usability, UX design, uh, software testing, uh, program management, you name it. Everything except operations. I spent, uh-huh. uh, I spent a year and a half working at Rackspace to learn more about operations and uh, spent all that time uh, remediating enterprise software uh, rather than learning anything about how data centers work. <laughs> so, there you go. Nice, nice, nice. Right on. And so uh, I think uh, the way our conversation started in social media was uh, you had an example where maybe mobbing didn't go so great. And then you also had some examples where it went better. So maybe like kind of like a mad, sad, glad retro will start you know, on the sadder side, and then maybe uh, go towards uh, the better experiences. So uh, yeah, maybe uh, tell us about the uh, mobbing experience that uh, wasn't so great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's something, you know, and it's something that might be limited to the consulting space or the way mobbing is, is used in consulting. And, you know, things tend to, in that world, we get a, we can get a lot of hogwash that's, uh, uh, foisted upon uh, companies and developers, especially especially enterprise companies, especially traditional uh, bureaucratic, you know, big enterprise shops that um, that, that struggle for for many reasons. Um, so what I saw in that space was this this leveraging of mobbing. That was well. I can just explain it to you. Um, get a team in a room. Have one person on the keyboard and the mouse, writing the code, working the editor, everybody else's audience swap, will swap people in from, from the observer pool uh, into the, into the you know, keyboard controller, person, the, the pilot in command role. And then one other person dictating to the person at the keyboard exactly what to type on the keyboard and what to work in the mouse and what, what files to open. Um, I, I am uh, shocked to, to, to think what would happen if this version of mobbing was one that caught on. <laughs> and uh, I saw it being done at a major financial institution, a name that, that you guys would all know, on multiple teams on a, on a, with a big agile consultancy uh, doing this. Um, and I, you know, I'm a consultant myself or a contractor myself, and like, I understand the revenue model and the things that, that can be done in that space to sort of maybe slow down the work and, you know, maybe increase billable hours. Maybe it's something like that. And I'm cynical enough to believe that that's exactly what's happening in that space. But I, I know that this is being done by at least 
Well, it's more than one very large, a very well-known agile consultancy uh, at very large um, legacy companies. And, and that ultimately means that this is something that is been exposed that, that, you know, hundreds of developers are being exposed to. Um, so I, I, when I think of that, I kind of think, God forbid that it becomes viral, that it becomes the definition of mobbing. Um, yeah. And on the other, the other hand, the best case scenario for mobbing, um, you know, in my book is basically what we were already doing with extreme programming 20 years ago. Uh, and and what we were doing before that, because you know, like you know, the X people just didn't didn't introduce you know the idea of collaborating uh, with our coworkers. Um, it did introduce a little bit more rigor around it, and some and some practices, and some exercises. But you know, we, it's something it's something we were always doing, and something that we do based on need, uh, sort of based on need. You know, I mean, you guys probably have some background in, in XP yourselves, mm -hmm. I imagine. So there was that period where, you know, XP was young and new and we were trying to, you know, trying to like almost do experiments or do ex learning exercises to, to, to get our, to get our, 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 um, our grounding. Um, so things like promiscuous pairing and swapping pairs and timed pairs and, and, um, and all right, uh, ping pong pairing, all those things, all those things I think, you know, that were yeah. learning exercises um, that ultimately aren't, weren't supposed to become some enforced orthodox form of pairing, but really just, you know, like a workout, like a pair programming workout, getting the muscle memory. So I think of it more, I think the be, in the best case mobbing or ensemble or collaborative or collective or whatever words we're gonna use uh, should be on an as needed basis. Like we should be able to assemble and disassemble the ensemble um, as needed, um, mm -hmm. you know, like like a transformer. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you're, like the transformer made up of every person on the team. And sometimes you're just bumblebee out on your own, able, able to transition uh, in, in, uh, into different phases. Um, I think it's when, when we put these orthodoxies into place, especially with mobbing, uh, because you know, I think mobbing is an extension of, of the stuff we've already done, an extension of, of, of pairing. Um, and when we do things that represent it in a way that you can sort of, you know, in that example that I gave you guys of the, uh, the really orthodox form of mobbing where um, you've got a bunch of people watching and literally one person, the keyboard, who's being dictated to what to do. Um, I watched people in that, in that group, in that team, um, you know, rolling their eyes. I saw people disconnecting. Right? This, is, this, is, this is how we take a, a good, solid, meaningful practice turn it into orthodox twaddle and turn people off of it for the entirety of the rest of their careers. Mm. Uh, all for the sake of some grandiose method. I don't know what it's like. It's, it's not even a methodology. It's just, it's a, sure. uh, uh, um, it's almost like a liturgy. Um, so do you I, see I, these teams, uh, do you see them you know, doing retrospectives or or rotating people from the business in and out of these mobs, because you know yeah. I think you know this sounds like an eco chamber that uh, um, and people are kind of being told how to work. And I think in general the industry understands that self organizing teams um, is is a path to success, but 
Uh, I mean, you're right. There, there are these versions. Failure. Sorry. Also failure. Yeah, yeah, and and so yeah, yeah. So so failure and and safety and experimentation, all these things are are really, um, you know, maybe a basis for a good ensemble. Um, and so you know, I'm I'm curious uh, for for a team suffering from from this sort of mobbing, uh, what would you say to them uh, to to help them escape uh, the, their their situation? You know how how uh, you know if if uh, hopefully they're listening to the uh, mob mentality show. How how would you tell them to get out of it? Well, it's, it's, it's a difficult point. Like I would say to somebody uh, in, in such a situation who has a greater maturity to, you know, if your gut is telling you, if you find yourself rolling your eyes, you know, investigate that, uh, examine it. Um, but somebody with a lower maturity might just roll their eyes even at any good practice because it's something that's unfamiliar and it's something that takes a lot more effort and it's, and it's tiresome. Um, so it, it would depend on, it would depend on who the audience is. I've, I've saw, you know, good, good well-meaning brothers and sister programmers in the wild doing this 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 forced style of of orthodox mobbing ritual um and that that's the word i was looking for earlier just just doing it ritualistically um being forced into these these rituals and and you know feeling bad for them because i i know you i know that they know that this is a ritual i know that they know that that it's not help really helping with the with the with the core issues, with the real problems that the team is happening, having. Um, and we're just going through the motions and, and consultants are making hundreds of dollars an hour or thousands of dollars an hour for a consulting group, uh, taking, taking developers through these rituals. And the good people on the team who are really still active and committed um, uh, to the vision and, and to the mission of the team, uh, basically being sidelined uh, so that we can sort of, you know, like slather over a layer of, of thick mob orthodoxy grease onto the team and, and sprinkle it with magic consulting dust and say that we're doing good work and we're making progress. Mm. Um, it's, it, it's a thing that's dependent on who, on who the audience is. Um, I yeah. would say one thing to somebody, uh, as with anything, I would say one thing to a developer with, with great maturity and another thing to a developer who, who hasn't yet had the opportunity to develop that maturity. Yeah, it, yeah, it's heartbreaking though. Like you, you know, you see, you see good people being crushed in the in the wheels of ritual, and people who ostensibly could be making serious contributions to the to the to the root causes of the problems of the organization, instead of doing this agile theater or agile theatrics. Um, all I can do at the best of times is, you know hang my head and, 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 and feel sympathy and, and try not to let them know that I'm, you see that I'm, that I'm feeling sad for them. Cause you know, when you're, when you're contracting to a big consulting agency, you kind of got to, you know, carry the message and toe the line to a great extent uh, without subverting everything. I'd want to subvert the whole thing, but. You know, How, uh, maybe, maybe as an, what would you suggest to an employer uh, employing a consulting agency uh, to help them identify if, if something um, below board is happening, right? I, I don't know that there's anything that can be said. It's the same, it's the same sort of question about uh, maturity, you know, if it's a developer, 
you know, an employer that doesn't really have the tools to evaluate whether this is an actual good thing or just theatrics and smoke and mirrors, if they, if they don't already know, then they're probably going out to get a consulting agency to help them. If they do know, they're probably not going out to get consultants to begin with. Like they're probably the people to follow um, already instead of being the followers. So I think it's a bit of a catch-22 that, that, that really can't be helped. Um, but it when, sounds like maybe uh, there are those different styles, right? So those that know and, and maybe are leading the way and others that don't know. And so like, uh, what about, uh, for example, suggesting community to everyone, right? So, so find other software leaders like yourself and, and just talk about the things that you're experiencing with them because there's a lot to be learned from a peer group, right? So if you had a peer group, some of them are going down one way and some of them are going down the other way and maybe they just talk about it and identify those things. So I think that, I think in my mind that could be uh, pretty helpful. Um, yeah, but it's, a, it's a, the, the, I mean, inherent in what you're saying is the word if, if you had a peer group. That yeah. is the big issue with, you know, large enterprise software development teams who are kind of, uh, you know, at the menial labor end of, of the software development um, job uh, experience. Um, you know, the, the companies themselves aren't, aren't doing anything to, to level up maturity and engagement with software development as a career or as a field of interest or practice. Um, and then, you know, the result of that is developers are somewhat demotivated to see this as much more than, um, than a job and, and don't engage in community. I, the vast majority of software developers have no engagement with community at all. The vast majority of software developers aren't listening to, to podcasts or, or reading articles or, or God forbid, reading books or taking classes or going and finding teachers and mentors. Um, so I, I don't know a good answer to that. It's just activism, 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 keep at it, keep, keep, try to keep the conversation going, trying to keep calling attention to some of the, the, uh, the less desirable things that happen in, in the uh, fat part of the software development bell curve. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I could see that. And um, yeah, that's, that's part of something we're, we're a part of in the community. And, and I can really resonate with what you're saying. Uh, before I did uh, mob programming, I think I saw the same thing happen with, uh, you know, practices like TDD, where one, the culture was, it was like command and control, you're forced to do it, you don't understand what you're doing, you're just going through mechanics. And then it produced pretty bad stuff <laughs> in the culture and for uh um, and the result in the code and that kind of thing. Um, and so, and I think that was one thing that- um, isn't, that isn't that the worst thing? Like, T, I'm sorry, TDD is one of, the, one of the most effective exercises in um, implementing software design while also respecting fundamental practices, patterns, and principles. Um, and if you don't come into it from that perspective of, of principles, and it's just forced on you. It's kind of like, you know, forcing young children who have no engagement with reading to read Shakespeare in, you know, grade school. Um, well, some of the result of that is, is some of those people will, will never be interested in reading again for the rest of their lives. Um, what, what happens when we do this with TDD and we force people to engage in this, this like TDD theatrics? Um, 
they'll just say this was this was bogus and, and walk away from it and never reconsider it again. Yeah. Um, that's just tragic. It's one of the most effective, beneficial practices I think that's that's come around in the last couple of decades. And we have just a ton of developers who had it forced upon them who will never give it a, a second look again uh, because it was uh, because it was forced. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I've seen the same thing with retrospectives. I heard you mention that too. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and, you know, I think retrospectives done well, and maybe this problem scenario we're considering might help through the engagement problems this mob is experiencing and might, you know, you know, help some experimentation to happen. But we've also heard of retrospective theatrics, right? Uh, I forget uh, who, it, I think it was the author of one of the retrospectives books was sharing how she observed a retrospective that was basically just a theater where, you know, one person, you know, kind of driving the stickies and then no action was taken and then it was over, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, no follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> and so and everybody uh, involved in those retrospectives knows it. You know, I think one of the most important things. So in, in that case, there is a recommendation to any adopter because retrospectives are, 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 are much more obvious. You know, TDD is very subtle. You have to understand, I mean, if you understand design principles, TD will make a hell of a lot more sense. If you're interested in learning design principles, practicing TDD as the, as the Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off, you know, muscle memory thing can get you to design, to understand, it will open up that field of design principles sooner or later. But um, that's real subtle. Retrospectives are pretty easy. You get a bunch of people in the room and, and tell them to do, same thing with standups, by the way, tell them to follow a script. Um, you can talk to those people, people and, and ask honestly, you know, are retrospectives working? Um, which will force us to answer the question, what are retrospectives supposed to do? Which brings us down to things that are more, I think, grounded and rooted in, in lean methodologies rather than agile methodologies, which is um, the fundamental question, what problem does this solve? And if we can't identify a problem, that, that could just be that we're not, we're not seeing the problem and, and that's fine. It's still valuable to do the exercise. But most of the time, I think people who, who are forced in a, into retrospective um, uh, rituals know that they're going through the ritual, know that they don't believe in it. And it causes them to disbelieve anything methodological or rigorous. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we harm like every, you know, all the things that we wanted to accomplish with Agile going back to 1999, uh, are harmed by this, this enforcement of, of you know, theater, agile theater. At the same time, I also don't think that most teams have the freedom to give a damn about methodology because their implementation is so troubled um, that the core problems that they're facing, even amongst, even amongst interpersonal relationships are, are rooted uh, ironically, as you know, people, 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 persons would probably disagree with me. Um, but most of the problems that a team has, aside from personality issues, are rooted in the code. All the strife that a team experiences is strife in dealing with their workplace, which their workplace, our workplace, is code, mm -hmm. is the design. Uh, and without a without a mastery of design, um, we're we're bound to just continue to suffer through this through the strife and retrospectives aren't helping with that. Retrospectives are basically acknowledging the symptoms or the symptomology of the problems inherent in the implementation without ever digging into the implementation. And, you know, you look at a methodology like Scrum. I, I remember was Scott Ambler a number of years ago tried to forward a capability, uh, uh, a maturity model 
a CMM style came, uh, maturity model for agile. And he was, he was torn to shreds uh, for even suggesting such thing because at the time there was such a huge backlash of CMM, CMMI, the capabilities maturity model. Um, but it was, it was a useful thing to apply. And at that time, you know, it basically was pretty straightforward to most people in agile time. He, you know, he slated scrum at the lowest level of maturity. That obviously got a lot of backlash from a lot of people. Um, but you know, what is Scrum doing to help with this core problem, with the deeper problem that rests in the um, the implementation and the obstruction to progress and continuity that the implementation itself is? Scrum has absolutely cannot have answers for that, and it's not supposed to have answers for that because it's really just very very high level, loose, abstract project management, work management, team organization, and facilitation methodology. It almost has nothing to do. Like the reason why Scrum can be applied to so many different industries is it has nothing specific to say about software or nothing really to help software. Um, if you have the, I, I, I'm, just, I'm gonna go on a little bit of a tangent, I guess here, but um, my, my saying to, to customers is always that if you have problems that Scrum solves, you have problems that Scrum can't solve. Um, the problems are way deeper and Scrum is basically moving the deck chairs on a Titanic unless you've got a very, very dysfunctional team, like, like personality-wise, psychology-wise. Uh, and at that point, it might be better to get an actual psychologist or performance coach uh, rather than a, you know, a, a Scrum facilitator. But those problems, all that strife, well, the inability for the team to make progress, um, that's all in basic fundamental knowledge of, of software design. Um, and until that gap is closed, that strife continues. And, um, you know, there's that, uh, there's that uh, old funny poster that said there's about con that was the, the, the demotivators posters, the, the joke motivation posters. There's one about consulting. Um, if you can't be part of the solution, there's money to be made in prolonging the problem. Um, I think that's pretty much, uh, you know, with all with with all due respect to my to my friends and colleagues who are in this in the in the in that consulting game, I, I think that's I think that's just the sham part of agile consulting, specifically with 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 Scrum consulting. It doesn't solve problems. It doesn't solve the deeper problems. It's trying to chase after symptoms. Um, we do things that have no follow up, no follow through. Uh, we do things um, unscientifically and unmethodologically. Uh, and mostly what it does is drain the development budget and transfer wealth and value uh, to consulting agencies that don't really have to deliver much of anything. When you're brought in to deliver retrospectives, like what is your deliverable? I mean, that's a really great, that's a jo that job itself is a, is a perk. That's a job that doesn't have to deliver much of anything. Um, mm. And I can understand why people want that job. But it doesn't help. It doesn't. It doesn't solve the deeper problems. Hmm. And I don't think any of it does. Retrospectives don't. You know, self-organizing teams may or may not. Um, every single practice test driven development is the, probably the only thing that I think gets close to solving uh, root causes because it is about structural design. Um, and the problem with it is that word test, right? It's, this has gone back 20 years. The problem with test driven development has got the word test in it. Um, and, and, it, and it, doesn't really, it doesn't really express to the users and to the adopters what you really need to be doing. And it, and it's, it has very little to do with unit testing, even though unit testing is the lowest bar, you know, uh, you know the, the lowest qualification you need, you need to start practicing it. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I mean, I think we, you know, we hit on some of kind of the deeper cultural, um, you know, experimentation and freedom versus forced and all that kind of stuff that you saw with, uh, you know, mob programming and other practices. And so maybe coming out of the dark side and maybe going to maybe the, uh, you know, the Luke Skywalker side of some of your experiences. Uh, um, you know, so maybe, you know, maybe we'll come back to retrospectives and TD and other things, but, uh, you know, maybe starting with uh, mob programming. I know sure. uh, you were sharing some Do it all the time. Maybe it was one with a UX designer or something like that, but uh, maybe uh, an example of where you saw it going well and what was different about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think first of all, you know, I'm, I'm biased to think that, that that ensemble work is categorically better. I don't know. I can't say that it's provably better or quantifiably better. But through you know a couple decades of experience with it, it's it's categorically better. In in trying to achieve a certain thing, which uh, has more to do with achieving achieving understanding understanding perfection, leveraging perfection, making it a goal, and understanding how, that there's a methodology of it. Um, once we're once we're over that line, uh, mobbing makes a lot of sense because making sure that everybody has a great degree of knowledge uh, across the board. Um, not just in their own workspace, not just in their own work area or area of operations, but but in adjacent areas of operations, um, is all part of a virtuous system. So I can't but see mobbing or ensemble as anything. Like I I, could, I couldn't come to another conclusion um, if my objective was very high performing um, software teams. But um, it it can and should be anything from from pairing. Um, all the way out to taking the entire team into a, a virtual room or a, or, or a literal room uh, with, with a projector and a screen or, or through Zoom or Tuple or whatever you're using and putting everybody's attention on the same thing. Um, every problem in software development comes from not having an understanding of what the mistakes are. Um, and we are at a massive knowledge deficit in the industry in, 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 in grappling with that. So I think mobbing is is just, you know, it's not magic. It's just make sure everybody, make sure everybody has shared knowledge, not universally, but you know, you, leveraging things like the the notion of T people, understanding your upstream and downstream, facilitating handoffs, understanding value stream analysis and how that applies to this. Uh, mobbing is mobbing is the right solution to that. Mobbing is the right solution to harnessing the collective intellect when the collective intellect is necessary. Uh, hard, uh, mobbing is the right solution to um, instituting new norms and practices and policies um, all at once, synchronously. Um, it's just hard to beat. Um, and all the way down the pairing, uh, it, it really like I imagine myself trying to. I'm trying to sit here. Imagine myself trying to sell this to somebody who who doesn't is not on the same page. And I think it's. I think it's impossible. All I can say is it's the right stuff. As long as it's enlisted in a virtuous system of dozens of other practices and awarenesses um, that work together with it. But the moment it's just, you know, go ahead and do this and go through the motions, um, it's gonna cause more harm than necessary. So we do mobbing of every scale, whole team, uh, all the way down to pairing and, and across functions. So this is the notion that you, you talked about with with pairing with um, with UI uh, UI designers, um, you know we had a we have a we recognize a problem um, mostly mostly you know reinforced through an understanding of lean 
um, that handoffs are a huge problem. Um, delays in handoffs are a huge problem. Um, batching and queuing is the you know the, the subject matter of, of of a lean conversation, not so much um, uh, not so much a, an agile conversation. But we 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 understand that because we understand that the loss of fidelity of knowledge between people leads to a lot of rework, leads to a lot of slowdown, uh, leads to a lot more of this strife, um, leads to mistakes being embedded into the software or, or, or calcified into the software in a way that cannot be fixed uh, if, it, if, it, if it takes too long to remediate them. So uh, all of that stuff is about immediate remediation uh, rather, than, rather than delayed remediation. Um, so, you know, we recognize that we had a traditional organization well we had an organization that we, we would call traditional when it came to the handoff between the ui design organization and the rest of the organization and i think that's a persistent problem in the industry right now where ui design has kind of made a little enclave for itself um uh siloed itself uh i think that the ui business is still pretty much relative to software very, very primitive industrially and methodologically and, and process-wise. Uh, it's a very young industry uh, and hasn't really paid attention at all to the, to the procedural and process matters. So coming up, coming, coming to design folks and saying, hey, you know, um, you guys are working in isolation. Uh, we need to stop that. Uh, and, 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 and here's why. It requires you to, to tutor uh, an entire industry on process and catch them up on process. At the same time as saying to them, your number one job perk, keeping your hands clean of all, of all the dirty work, uh, we're gonna take that away from you. Um, you're not going to work in, a, in an isolated office that's got a higher furniture and interior design budget and fashion budget um, than everybody else in the organization. That's a real tough sell. Um, uh, that's a, and it's a serious perk. Like being, working in isolation is a perk. Working without having to mob is a, is a job perk. Like not being bothered, that's a perk. Um, then that's, I think, where the design industry is now. So we use ensemble, pairing, mobbing, what have you, to bring in designers into the process and eliminate the starkness of the handoff by one, requiring developers to have a much deeper understanding of design and usability and customer, and two, requiring designers to understand how to implement their vision beyond doing mock-ups and things like Figma. Um, um, that's, that's probably one of the biggest optimizations any organization can, can do, um, is continue following that trend uh, that Toyota and Lean has shown us of cross-functionality and T people and leveraging it and leveraging it to economic advantage and value creation advantage. Um, and mobbing is just great for that. Mobbing is great for socializing, for creating T people at, you know, at all, um, uh, or pairing or collaborative or ensemble or whatever the hell we're going to call it. Um, if you want to create T people, people in your organization, uh, first address the process so there is there isn't a, you know, the proverbial wall that we throw things over. Um, and one of the one of the side effects of this, tangible side effects of this, we realized. So Mary Poppendieck said something uh, at, a, at a talk I, that I saw in 2004, which was a, a, a light bulb moment for me, which was she said that, you know, the problem with the, the problem with giving one person the eight hour a day job of being the requirements analyst 
is they'll produce requirements eight hours a day, every day, irrespective of whether or not further elaboration on requirements was ever required, which is why we got the, 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 you know, the proverbial 500 page requirements brick of a document. Why do we have that? Because we took one person, we specialized them, we isolated them and said, produce this, you know, you're a machine, produce this output, make this part eight hours a day. What do you end up with? Piles and piles and piles of unused, un, of unused inventory. Um, in design right now, because design is, is, is pursuing uh, um, a, this, this team structure where designers can be isolated because we see them as different kinds of people, you know, different kinds of aesthetics and different kinds of, of, of work-life expectations. Um, it produced design all day long, whether or not it's needed. And there's no pull system. Between design and development, it's a push system. And we already know the problems of push systems. And if we don't, they're documented, you can find out. Just reading the goal is a, is a way to do that. I think uh, reading um, um, the Phoenix Project is, is less so because it doesn't really talk that much, even though it's, you know, they're, they're, those books are related. But reading the goal and understanding what, pull system, what push systems do and what, what uh, work cells, what the problem that is created by work cells that are working autonomously without any connection to downstream and demand, um, what we found is exactly what we expected to find. Um, the design function of our business was producing far more design than, than implementation could ever turn into value producing software. When we integrated these, um, I didn't even say integrate, when we just put a pull system and T people and, and destroyed the handoff and the barriers, uh, we were able to go through the design system and eliminate one hell of a lot of waste and unused, unnecessary design elaboration. Yeah. That in and of itself is the net positive. But <clears throat> also the designers who can make that tradition become so much more, so much more well-grounded and, and become so much better tuned to learning exactly how much design needs to be, how much UI design needs to be produced without guessing at it, without just presuming what the producer of the 500 page requirements document in 2001 was doing, which is produce as much as possible and everybody, and you know, you know, produce as much design as, produce as much work product as possible and the developers will figure it out. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's ludicrous, but, but that's what we get with, with, with isolation. And, and uh, you know, just to go back to the top, Ensemble work, as long as it's supported by other supporting virtuous practice in a virtuous practice system um, is one of the most powerful ways um, to take these isolated work cells and de-isolate them. Yeah, and I've, I've definitely seen the same thing. You know, uh, we, we do it fairly often now, maybe it's just the nature of work we're doing, but we'll, we'll mob with a, a UX UI designer and it's just phenomenal. We learn so much from them like, uh, right. from, like you know like ux like how to make you know understand the user understand the personas and uh think think more clearly about the problem and 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 the software and then they learn from us i think he's starting to pick up unit testing a little bit because we're showing him how yeah. he could do it and then so yeah. it's uh, uh yeah it's been fun and i hear you uh you know getting to kind of the lean pursuing perfection and kind of the lean mindset and i love it and i want to get there maybe as our last topic but i had one more question on uh uh, mobbing before we jump to that is uh so you kind of gave us kind of the uh you know the the fly in the back of the room uh example of kind of the 
the mobbing that wasn't going so well, right? You know, you had low level navigation, you had people rolling their eyes and disengaged. You know, what, what's kind of your uh, observation in a mob that's going well? Like what's the, the kind of the A versus B uh, example <laughs> in your experience? Oh boy. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it becomes so natural that it's not noticed. Mm. There's nothing forced about it. Mm. Like in a forced mobbing situation, probably the most senior people understand that it's theatrics and be, and be, and, 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 you know, go through the motions because they're required to do it and they'll, they'll throw it away and they won't, they won't really re-engage with it meaningfully. Again. Um, that's, that's the force thing. When you do mobbing and it just seems natural, like you can assemble, you can convene and, and you can commission and decommission a mob within, within a span of a few seconds, ad hoc, um, you know, basically using the right tool for the right problem at the right time. And if, that, if that's the mob, you can assemble a mob and disassemble a mob. It just becomes so natural that you don't even, you don't even think of it. Like I don't even, we don't even have, a, we don't even address it by a name. We don't really say, and now we're switching to mob mode. It's just now there's a need for, there's a need for, um, for somebody else to cross check me on what we're doing. And, and that's the thing I think that pair programming trained us to do. I think it's the thing that extreme programming trained us to do is to understand that we are human machines and we do have capable, the, the problem with the human machine is it's capable of producing faults and it's good to have our biases checked. And if we can acknowledge that we make mistakes and we're bound to make mistakes. Um, and if we can acknowledge the real cost of mistakes in terms of sending the design down directions that we may never be able to recover from, um, then avoiding mistakes in design becomes a priority, or, or not a priority, becomes the, becomes the priority uh, and, and the un, unassailable priority, um, which you know leads to the, leads to the thing about perfection. Um, and when you're doing that, every, everything else that you need to do to make that happen just be, just become, just flows. It just becomes natural. So I think the best, the, in the best case mobbing, you don't even know you're doing it. It's just a tool you reach for. Uh, you know, my favorite saying is um, specific countermeasures for specific circumstances. You, you've got a great big toolkit of all the practices and you don't just throw them. You don't just use them every day in every moment. You know exactly which technique from Agile to use and exactly which moment. And you don't just pre-schedule them. Like on Fridays, we will have retrospectives as opposed to when we recognize that there's a problem looming and building up, we're going to stop the line and we're going to address it in an ensemble fashion. We don't even call that a retrospective anymore. It just becomes problem solving. And when the team becomes focused on problem solving, because they've learned what the problems really are, the deeper, darker, more hidden, invisible problems become more visible and more tangible. Um, everything required to solve those problems just becomes flow and nobody has any reticence uh, or resistance to doing it because we're all aligned on, on, on the, along the same understanding of what mistakes do to software. I think that's the biggest problem of all. We're at a point in the history of software where you know, it's still pretty primitive. We're using high tech, but it's still pretty primitive. The way we use the high tech is really primitive. And by and large, um, the vastest majority of, of people who work in software don't know what a mistake is in software design. Mm. And we make them, we entrench them, encase them, and encapsulate them, and, and calcify them in ways that we can't fix them. And we move merrily along the way because we never even saw these, these mistakes. We never even saw, we don't, we don't have a microscope powerful enough 
to see into the cellular and molecular level of software design, which is where all the problems are created. We don't stop the cancer when it's the first at its first signs because we think that's too small to matter. Um, you know, this is the old problem. You know, the old analogy with with uh, Louis Pasteur and 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 uh, and, uh, and Semmelweis uh, before medical science or or, or you know, physical science recognized this thing called germs. We don't even, we didn't even, we couldn't even believe them, right? You know, physicians wouldn't even accept the reality of their existence. You were laughed out of the room if we suggested there was these things that are causing toxicity and they're invisible. Um, now, of course we know, um, but you know, there was a time where that was, you, know, you literally laughed out of the room, but, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a factor of, of, of the evolution of all human of the understanding of human science, which is recognizing that there are things that we presently do not have a fine enough optics to visualize that are in fact the biggest cause of the most pervasive problems. And the, the answer to that is refining and exercising our optics so that we can see those things. I think a lot of it has to do uh, also, you know, because I think we do have these tools and we, you know, if you've got a lot of really senior uh, people that have a lot of XP design pattern, unit testing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they can instantly in, instantly put it all together. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, they can be like, oh yeah, this is this is the problem. Uh, you know, we don't have a common facade across multiple concepts, and now you've hosed all your your uh, ability to expand the product in the future. Um, but like, I, I think you know, one big thing and one reason that Ensemble helps a lot is that um, we can't teach these concepts fast enough as people come into the industry, right? And so, Absolutely. so yeah, you're, 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 and then also even the team dynamics stuff that you're talking about and, and having good retrospectives versus bad. Um, you know, I think a lot of the time we just have, you know, one or two really senior people and a whole bunch of junior level people. And, and there's like an anti-pattern of saying, oh, hey, you junior level person, just go off and do this thing that's not just on your own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you don't slow me down. And, and what ends up happening is it, um, you know, the side effects of that are, are profound, really. Um, and, uh, and, and so then you, you get a lot of these like same behaviors over and over again. And, and, you know, ensemble programming will, you know, instead just share enough knowledge and this person can kind of learn through osmosis. And, um, and now all of a sudden you have somebody that, that remembers that one time that we did that thing that now I can make that common facade and I make a better design choice. Um, and so I think a lot, a lot of the stuff that we face in the industry is, is due to like bad decisions around high levels of turnover. Um, and and so, so what's the yeah, that's fascinating. What's the cause of the turnover? The cause, I mean, it's just the expansion of the industry. Like, so so I feel like the software industry in general is an insatiable machine, right? And so more and more people every year go into school for software development. Uh, more and more people get into senior roles, and then they get poached from company to company. And yeah. a lot of this might just be like based in economics in general. And and so I think a lot of software leaders need to view the industry as just an ever-changing thing i actually don't you know people happy with their job will stay at their job like probably up until like maybe a 20 percent pay increase but the thing is that you know if you land a stable job you really love it and and then there's another company that just received vc funding and then all of a sudden 
they're offering, you know, 40, 50% increases to people, then they're out of there. So, so, you know, I think one thing that I, I felt like over the last, you know, five years, I've been thinking a lot about is this idea that it's like, how do you make your team just really resilient to turnover? Um, and because a lot of these problems that you're describing here, I feel like are introduced that way. And, and people want to get better, but on average for the industry, they only stay together for two years. And I feel like those really high performing teams that we talk about end up being, you know, together as a full team with the same group of people for no more than two years. And, and more often they're shifting faster than that. Um, and so, and, you know, that reminds me of Toyota, you know, like yeah. it, it, the average, the average span of work, uh, you know, the, the average career at Toyota is, is, you know, is, is decades, yep. not, not years. So why, yep. why do people stay? Why do software developers, you know, that old saying, like people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. Yeah. I think in software development, it's not that. I think it's not that people quit jobs, they quit code bases. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's just it. You know, software developers get burned out on the mess we get burned out on the mess we ourselves created and then we ourselves didn't invest the, the time energy uh, uh, to fix. And so we, we, we do this ridiculous thing where we think, well, maybe I'll just move on, you know, and there'll be, there is, there is another code base somewhere else that's, and it's, there isn't, I mean, well, there is, there, there, there are actually, you know, I think software development shops that are, are already, you know, I, I actually kind of think of it as the same analogy in manufacturing. When when lean swept through manufacturing, there were you know lean shops and you know and ones who hadn't got there yet. There still are, um, but you know yeah. you, there are that hasn't happened yet in software. Like we yeah. haven't hit our 1980s. Uh, the, the that manufacturing experience, the, the experience that manufacturing had in 1980s. So you there is no reason to leave. <laughs> like you're not. That you're not going to find something else. So we do do things like saying, well, you know, it's going to be shitty everywhere. So sorry, pardon my French. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be bad everywhere. So why don't I just go take, why don't I go work at, a, at the same badness for, you know, 50% more to hundred yeah. percent more of the money. Um, and the reality is like, it's, it's all us. Like it's all on our hands to make this better. Craftsmanship is important and we need a good way to learn it quickly. And we need to resolve our interpersonal problems quickly so that we can find flow quickly yeah. And How many interpersonal problems come out of two two um, two developers basically having combat over an approach to a piece of software of, of an approach to doing something in software that really uh, most of the times if you examined it from the perspective of design principles you might find out that both both approaches are completely wrong. Yeah. Um, or you'd end up with a clearer answer. Like there is um, a way to adjudicate objectively. Um, approaches to software development and to see what mistakes are and what to avoid um, and to see the existing mistakes in our implementations and even our tooling. And that's just simply by understanding software principles, uh, which would take me down the path of yeah. <laughs> and who the, hell, who the hell can understand software principles given the vocabulary that it's presently expressed in. Like solid principles is a revelation. As long as you've been enlisted into the inner circle of you know, twenty uh, seventh level masonry masters who've been given the secret code to decipher what you know all the descriptions of software principles are. Um, so we're we're shooting ourselves in the foot. 
Well, in front of so many different guns, it's 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 tragic. As as a community, we're trying to solve that problem, uh, and so I wish we could continue this conversation uh, longer, but uh, we're done. We, we've hit our time <laughs> box, um, and so I just wanted to know: well, is there anything that you wanted guys. to plug or share before we close out the show? Um, no, I, I think it, I think it would be inappropriate to turn to turn stuff into self promotion. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it would be it after would be the uh, aforementioned conversation. <laughs> yeah, I got lots of stuff I'd love to plug, uh, but nah, you know, people 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 are interested. They can find out uh, yeah. the powerful search engines that we have at our disposal. All right, but, well, um, yeah, this is this is good. Be, I appreciate it. There will be links in the show notes. So. To all of our viewers out there, uh, if you if you find yourself uh, kind of in a mundane mob or a uh, an ensemble with an ex existential crisis, then maybe you uh, forward this episode to them and share it. And uh, you know, with that, be sure to like, subscribe, tell your friends, and uh, we'll see you all next time. And Scott, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your thoughts on ensemble programming. Yeah, Chris and Austin, uh, thanks for the conversation. It was right. nice. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs>